Good evening and welcome to Torah. I'm Lee. I'm Adam. I'm Chris. Uh, and we are here for an extra special, special uh, episode this evening. Uh, on account of the fact that it is both mine and Chris's birthdays next week. So this is our birthday choice. Nice, yeah. Really? Birthday treat. As you can it's tell, I'm full of cold and I can't think properly. So I do apologise if I sound like an idiot. Full of brainless. Yeah, I just, I don't know what's wrong with me. I can't pull myself together. It's just really affected my brain, this cold. Um, I whittled it down to three movies to choose from for my my choice. And then Chris, on episode 50, mentioned how much he loved Thanks Killing and that he'd like to do another super low-budget movie again. So I thought, well, this was in my choice of three, I, so... I don't trust you this was super low-budget. <laughs> I know, because the effects they've, have... They've, they've tricked us. I know. Oh, well, yeah, I agree. Um... But so there's that, and also uh, I have reached out to the writer, director, producer, uh, special effects guru on this movie, uh, Tony Walsh, um, and if all goes well, in a couple of hours, I'll be sitting down to have a chat with him uh, over Skype. So what we'll do is we'll record the episode, and then at the end, if all goes well and I get the interview, mm -hmm. it will be on at the end. So, in traditional fashion, as we always do, Adam, what have you been watching in horror since we last sat down together? Um, I've, apart from the version of the Three Bears, where they ended with their own friends, <laughs> fuck off, <laughs> she's come in your house, she's broke a chair, she's ate your fucking food. No, chase her Burglary, in the woods. that is. I don't yeah. see why it's seen as acceptable to tell the kids. I think it's a but terrible no, idea. No. Anyway, but besides that, um, hey. I've... Uh, I was really pleased to discover that on uh, Amazon they've got the old Storyteller uh, series with John Hurt, where the, like Jim Henson creature workshop and oh, they used yeah, to do yeah. grim fairy tales mm, and yes. stuff like that, and old Germanic tales. Uh, but it also means they've got the Greek myths on there, so I watched all of them, because ah. they're really, really good. Um, and then this morning, uh, I think mostly I'd sort of, I hadn't really watched anything horror, so this morning... I spent I spent a morning with Karen Black. Uh, I watched Burnt Offerings, which was really good. Ollie Reed's in it, being Ollie Reed. Yeah. Um, just brooding and menacing, and just no. <laughs> All of a sudden, and just quiet. Um, Burgess Meredith's in it. Um, Bette Davis, and it's it's good. It's a nice sort of it's a nice haunted house kind of story, and yeah, I really enjoyed that. And then. I watched Trilogy of Terror, which is one of those films that is mentioned a lot mm. by sort of horror fans from the States because it was a TV movie that was on. And it's like okay. a, basically a, th a three part anthology. Well, it's Trilogy of Terror, so it would be. It's a three part <laughs> anthology one. Um, but each one stars Karen Black in a different role um, and really. It's really well done, and it just shows off. Is she was one, a great actress. Is this the one where one of them is a like a voodoo? Doll yeah, the little thing. Zuni fetish doll. Yes. That, yeah, which is great because it's just like having a cat. Because <laughs> it's just you, just this poor woman just running around with uh, blood sort of blood streaking off her, and this thing <laughs> and attacking her with big sharp pointy teeth. Lovely. That like, does that does sound just like having cats in the house. Yeah, um, but again, trilogy. Uh, they're both directed by uh, a guy called Dan Curtis, who I also think did the Colchaks 
uh, oh. film. Like that, certainly the original TV movies of Coljack. That's something we might want to cover as well because that's quite a nice one. They're basically like Columbo meets the X Files. It's mm. a scruffy little journalist, but he is investigating. But it's like, but it's the good. It's the good end of the X Files. There's no like overarching conspiracy that's going to bore you to tears. <laughs> um, it is just monster of the week, mm. and it's kind of formulaic for that. But there's only one series, so who gives a shit. But it's uh, quite a nice, yeah. Fair enough. Nice I need, series. I've never got around to checking it out. It's one of those things I keep saying I'm going to, mm. and then I haven't yet. Because um, there's because there's the first one which is called which is called the Night Stalker. Yeah. Uh, and then there's the Night Strangler, which was the follow up. And then the TV series is called Kolchak, the Night Stalker, even though he's not the Night Stalker. <laughs> it, but I think it's sort of. The, the two sort of got welded together so he becomes Kolchak the Night Stalker even though he's just Kolchak and he's just a yeah a, he's like a reporter but a proper 70s reporter he hates his boss uh, he works at a newspaper where everyone thinks he's a dick yeah um, but the sort of you know, there's, there's one secretary who who clearly loves him and he doesn't know. Um, there's the guy who does the weather reports who's just a prick and it's sort of it's quite sort of you know nice in that sort of way of sort of old 70s telly it does feel like something like Columbo or um, like any of the more sort of crime based ones like sort of you know anything from the 70s lots of yellow mm. writing in the credits nice. let's put it that yeah. way nice. but yeah so but yeah and I, I recommend all excellent <laughs> Chris, are you still just Game of Thrones and not much time else? Well, we we did a couple more Game of Thrones, but then there's been a slight pause on that. And in between, uh, it was I think Shelley was worried that it was affecting her badly. Okay. She she wasn't sure if uh, it was it was getting too much. Okay. So what how how far had you got? So we're in season halfway through season five, um, and it it's a, I think it's a few after. The one where uh, the the mountain has just you know stuck his thumbs through the guys. Oh, oh yeah, so just over on the purple so wedding. Yeah, yeah. So it was red wedding. Red, red wedding. wedding. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, a few after that, and and I just think yeah, there was that that affected her a bit, and and so it was whether it was going into a little bit too much of that side of things, and not enough. Uh, uh, yeah, happy fun. So yeah, there was a bit bit of a mixture. Whereas I think for a little while it's been a bit. Um, you know, harder going for for people such as her. So so we decided to pause that briefly, and I started to watch a Black Mirror because I haven't seen them all, okay. and it was the one where I'm sure it was basically Katie Hopkins. Now I've only seen the first twenty oh, minutes. Oh yes, yeah. and she she appears to have killed herself. That's what her husband has said. Yeah, but you don't know how yet. See, there's a cake involved. Yes, yeah, and yeah. So that's as far as I've gotten that. But I thought this is good. Oh, I should that's... should work my way back through all the Black Mirror. Definitely. I, I I think the thing is, when they come out, I sort of binge watch them all. Mm. And then, because you watch so many of them in such a short space of time, only they, one or two stick yeah, in your mind. They can blend together a bit. How good they all are. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I definitely am due for another rewatch of and all of those. That is. Um, that particular episode is great. Okay. It really is. But it was longer than I expected. I saw the time on it and it was. Like yeah, it's, over about, an it's, hour. it's about an hour and a half. Yeah. It's, it's the only one that's like proper feature length. Okay. Um, and weirdly enough, it does, it you know it it they sustains of it, it yeah, sustains okay. it does work and um, yeah that's probably one of my favourite ones of that series yeah. actually yeah. What, so what I didn't see what what series it I was. I think it's I think that's the last of series three. Okay. I think. Okay. It just it came up with my recommended list. I thought yeah. 
uh, just jump in wherever it's very suggests. suitable. Yeah. yeah. Um, especially if Game of Thrones has got a bit too. I, so I, like, I would definitely carry on watching. I think she's since we've had the slight break. I think she's starting to think, "Oh, I want to watch it again." So yeah. you never know. We, we might. Well, not only that, but also there is that element of how the hell do I actually go online? Yeah, you know, for it's the like, rest yeah. of my life. It's like trying to run through the streets with a blanket on your head to try and <laughs> avoid, you know. So you're just going to end up whacking into posts and getting it sport for you anyway. <laughs> so yeah. Um, I have totally let you all down. I've not watched anything horror in the last uh, week. But, that being said, what I have discovered, which is really exciting, and I'll probably binge watch tomorrow, um, Critters, uh, Shudder have made a Critters TV show. Alright, that's um, interesting. I think it's like ten episodes, and they're only ten minutes long mm. each or whatever um it's basically it looks like it's kids versus them so it's kind of stranger things okay. 80s but them versus the critters mm-hmm. um and it's uh written and directed by the guy who made zombievers um <laughs> so uh yeah which i loved so that's definitely sold me i'll definitely Sounds be watching good. that yeah um so yeah, that's what I'll be doing uh, over the weekend. I think I'm going to binge watch through that. I need to check out Shudder. I keep saying I'm going to get a subscription and give it a go for a month and see. So, so what is it? It's, uh, effectively, it's like Netflix, but it's only horror on there. Mm. Um, but uh, the problem is, it doesn't let you... When you go onto their website, you can't see what's on there until you sign up. So you almost don't know if it's worth signing up for. Believe me, there's a lot of stuff on there that is... I know that Dean um, had sh- uh, was uh, had Shudder and he basically... I think this was a period where he wasn't going out particularly much and I think he basically just went through everything that was on Shudder. Was Shutter. that why yeah. he wasn't going out much? I th- I, yeah, it sort of got a bit half and half, yeah. to be honest. But there is there is enough stuff of interest on there plus there's a lot of stuff on there that i i know i know for a fact there's stuff on there that i want to see and i think that shudder is the only place you can yeah like there's particularly there's the film the musician flying lotus did a film um that i believe you can only that's only available on shudder okay uh, apparently it is just the weirdest grossest film that uh, that's how people have been selling it so immediately it's piqued my interest yes but i think they have other stuff on there as well yes and also at the moment they've got the um uh they've got joe bob briggs on there the yes the, so, uh, the horror host yes now i did hear about this that was the other reason that i've been tempted to give it a go so i think i might sign up for a month and uh and see how i go with it mm. yeah because because joe bob briggs is a is a big sort of uh, horror host like in the states obviously never sort of he never transferred over here probably because he doesn't have quite elvira's cleavage <laughs> so maybe that's why it sort of didn't you know he hasn't sort of he didn't cross the pond as much yes um but yeah he's like a big name and i know from i know from instagram and sort of people on there and also i think he was interviewed he was interviewed on last podcast on the left i think wasn't it yes he yeah. was yeah, yeah and again basically what happened is because shudder is essentially run by people who love horror and they were kind of like well are you doing anything at the moment he's like well no because my show finished 15 20 years ago or whatever and he said so what do you want do you want this or and they were like no we just want you to do the show that you used to do just do that 
because that's why we've hired you. Mm. And yeah, yes, like twenty-four hour film marathons they do. Yeah. And because uh, there's a, and not only that, but also there's a lot of stuff. On, I know there's a lot of stuff on there that's classic, but also I think there's a lot on there that is. There's a lot of independent stuff. There's a lot of lower budget stuff. For example, there's a film I really want to see called The House of Him, which is directed, uh, written and directed by one of the guys from Burniston, like the Scottish comedy yeah. show. Um, and I know that's on there. And there's they, they seem to be... Shudder is like sort of a bit more... I don't know. It's a bit more connoisseur than Netflix in so much as they've probably just... they They've picked up on... The bits and pieces that people want. I think, um, uh, I think Dean said he. I think possibly Dean watched the Ritual on there before it was on Netflix mm. and okay. sort of stuff like that. So there is, they do have a lot of stuff on there. Yeah. Um, and you know, even if it's even if you did the month's trial, you know, like sort of, it's got to be worth it just to see what's what's up there. I think you should everything. do it and then review it. I think it's a good idea. I definitely. And, and in fairness, Shudder do follow us on Instagram, so we've got to kind oh, of be they? nice to them. Oh shit! Yeah. Hi guys. <laughs> um, thanks fantastic. for the follow yeah yes wonderful right yeah I'll definitely be doing that over this weekend um, so uh, if that's it and we're all caught up it's time to discuss this evening's uh, main feature so we've just finished watching It's My Party and I'll Die If I Want To um, I first saw this when it first came out I ordered the DVD that we watched um, through Scotchworthy's website so how, how did you know it was coming out so I used to listen to a podcast called Drunken Zombie mm. um, out of Chicago, which is where Scotchworthy are based. It, yeah, they just they were like, oh, it's really fun, it's really gory, it's made with a lot of love, it's uh, it's proof of what somebody can... Basically all the things I think we... It's proof of what you can do, even if you don't have a huge budget, if you've got the, the, the talent. Um, mm. So uh, that sold me on it, so I bought a copy. Um, and I've been following them ever since, really. Um, so, so when the DVD came, I watched it. I think I watched it twice in a weekend, and then I phoned Adam. Him and Dean came over the next weekend, and we watched it again. Yeah, mm. um, yeah and it's nostalgic for me because, uh, obviously, I don't know if the listeners know, but I got married on Halloween, and it was the year that this came out. So, uh, the yeah. run up to Halloween, mm. I watched this film a few sure. times. So it always reminds me of getting ready to, like the final prep month before the wedding, which was. Uh, so basically, every time Jennifer was going for a dress fitting, or she was going to look at flowers, or boxes for candy, or God knows what kind of nonsense they were up to, I would be left at home with a six pack of beer in this film. So it kept me very much entertained. So what did you think of your first watching of it? Yeah, so, uh, you know, when you say lower budget, it does set some sort of expectation. Mm -hmm. um, and so the only other film we'd seen was Thanks Killing that was what we'd call super low budget. Yeah. yeah. And and that was, again, I, uh, it turns out exactly like this. I, I was going into it not necessarily expecting too much and actually was pretty blown away by what they'd achieved. Mm. Um, within yeah the constraints just I mean yeah like the acting seemed great the characters were great uh, the effects were amazing um, yeah. it's, it's almost as if the only thing that gives it away as having such a low budget is obviously the the quality of the um, the cameras and stuff well, that, used. so that's what I was trying to work out all the way through what like what is it that you know if, if you watched um, something with very high production in it side to side 
with this, what is it that you would be able to tell is different? Because it's like some of the scenes and the the atmosphere they created in this mm. was fantastic. But yeah, I, I guess there is there's something that makes it have a slight I different think, style. Yeah, I think it's just things like the colour correction mm. and, the, you know, getting the, the pitch of the light of the, you know, how dark it is and things yeah. like that. I think are things that you need, firstly, you need really expensive cameras. So that's it, yeah. So to get the right lighting so if you want a room that's really dark but where people can actually still see something going on mm. like i guess yeah. yeah different equipment helps that exactly and then once you've got the footage of course there's a lot you can do in post to mm. to then make it darker or yeah. whereas if you've if you if you've only got it if you've only got the the camera equipment that you can afford or have access to then that kind of limits you um i'd imagine by the looks of it it looked like it was uh, digital video now, a, a, a lot, um, a lot of stuff is now filmed digitally. Uh, a lot of it is essentially digital video, mm. but there's a lot, like you say, with the post-production side of things. There's a lot of refinements you can make. There's stuff like, um, there's even stuff like where it's. I think they take like it, like drops frames and things like that mm. to give the appearance of film. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of the time when people are making films now, they're not making it with actual film, film. yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, especially because it makes stuff so much easier to integrate in terms of like for CGI effects and things like that mm. um, but yeah within I think with this I think it's just it was it's probably shot digitally certainly wasn't high def mm. but that's again what not only that but also I would argue Stuff filmed digitally in two thousand and seven. Well, that's so that's that's the thing. I was also going to say, yeah, it's a fair time back now. It's like yeah. it's yeah, because I think it was two thousand and six was when it actually said it was shot, mm. and so yeah, you are talking like over ten years ago. Yeah, so if you said to me we're watching a ten-year-old film, yeah, then I would have some expectation that it's not going to be quite up to today's standards necessarily. Exactly. I mean, I think in terms of weirdly enough, I think it it looked nineties. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's just because of lower budget 90s features it's that it's probably that same grade level yeah. of like just visually yeah 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 and well, I was trying to pick up yeah on the mobile phone and the TV yeah, and things yeah, like there's... that that were perhaps giving away the era but I think I think like you say I think a lot of it a lot of it is what you can do on set because there's only so much you can do I mean there's like I mean there's always certainly with lower budget stuff you can always pinpoint night for day shooting yeah. which is essentially uh, or day for night shooting which is essentially they're filming it during the day and then they they try and they basically up the blue so it looks mm. like it's at night mm. but the moon doesn't shine like the sun yeah. yeah so if you're walking through a forest and it's like sort of blazing through it's like no you filmed this on a mm-hmm. like a, a bright august day you didn't film this in yeah. the middle of the night but and a, a film that does that particularly, um, which I'm sure we'll be discussing him later on because he's in um, Scotchworthy's latest film. But the film where that stands out for me most more than anything is Spider Baby. Um, yes. The scene where she's in her negligee and she's running through the field. Um, yeah, and you can tell it's clearly like bright yeah. sunshine shot out in but the prairies and they've yeah. just changed it. Yeah. But yeah, and, and the the scenes in this like the, and the sets they. Like, as I was watching it, I think I mentioned like it looked to me like they'd yeah done a great job at uh, creating the sets, um, and so I wondered it'd be really interesting to hear 
the house they were in I think you said it could have been in two or multiple places. Mm. But it'd be really interesting to know, yeah, what did they need to get access to somewhere like that and to create the set? Because mm. um, a lot, a lot of the time, it can be. I mean, like we, like we, we were mentioning before we started, like we were saying about with like Clark's, yeah, the Kevin mm. Smith film. That was just the video shop he worked, yeah, in, the shop he worked in, mm. and they would close once they closed of an evening. They'd all go in and, film. and use it, yeah. And so I suppose it's whatever you've got access to. And that's it. So I wonder because it's a bit harder to do loads of gore in somewhere. Like, oh yeah, so, exactly. So yeah. I wonder what they had to do to get to get that place. There, yeah. there is a lot of plastic sheeting, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is quite good because it, I mean the whole premise is that they're saying that it's the house is mm. either being renovated or prepared to be demolished, mm. but basically it's a building site. Yeah. So it, know, it, it fits in and it looks natural for yeah. what you'd expect to find in that scenario. Um, yeah. So I will ask him. There is a a making of documentary on mm, this okay. DVD, which I did watch about yeah maybe Whenever, ten years ago yeah. now. Um, I did mean to rewatch it this mm. weekend, but um, yeah, one thing and another, I didn't quite get around to it, unfortunately. So well, that's all right because when obviously if I get to talk to Tony later, I will get it all from the horse's yeah. mouth. Get so the load down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, saying about the filming as well one of the things I did love is the framing of this film with the cartoon panels yes yeah and, definitely and especially bits where it was like the montage of getting ready for the party so you had like effectively a, a comic page mm. yeah and each panel had a different room it started off as a as a, a cartoon and then yeah. changed into the video and they all faded in and out yeah it reminded me of the warriors and reminded me mm. of uh creep show as well yes they do they do a very similar thing but yeah i think it's a it's a very good way of keeping the narrative going actually yeah. and mm. a visual actually much more interesting than uh, a lot of the time much more interesting than the montages yeah oh yeah definitely a, a, like a straight montage you know mm. And I think something like that gives it an impression of higher production value for some reason. It seems like, um, you know, gluing the whole thing together and giving it a sort of consistency. Mm. Uh, I think yeah. sound-wise, definitely. Yeah. You don't get that thing that you do get with, unfortunately, with a lot of low-budget things where, you know, the sound is all over the shop. Mm. Yeah, and you, you know. can hear the wind in all the outdoor shots. Yeah. And all that. Or you or, don't seem to get that with it. Or you get and that sort of... Even if you get so that sort of... Open air, like yeah. open air sound, even within a room where it'll be like someone moves and there's a mm. there's just a slightly different pitch or something like yeah. that. So I think you know, in in that sense, I don't think I think it, I think it's apparent in possibly uh, it's apparent in the visual, but it's not, but not in a not in a shoddy way, but just mm. as in you know, it's not crisp. Or yeah. sort of quite as crisp. As you say, it's, it's more that you can see where their budgetary restraints can. And it is really the only place you can see budgetary constraints uh, having any effect on it, really, yeah. in my opinion. And I think really, and, and that's not, to, I mean, the effects are fucking brilliant. I, you know, they yeah. are really. Yeah. I'd forgotten just how good they were. Yeah. I remember the transformation being mm. quite good. Mm. Uh, and the actor who plays uh, Travis, yeah. uh, Oliver Luke, I remember him like being. Phys like his physicality when he's changing, um, yeah, yeah, being really good, and, and with that quality of effects. Again, I've forgotten just how much, how many close-ups and in fairly bright light yeah. you actually see that that makeup, and it looks fantastic. Yeah. And and like the, and a lot of the gore, the stuff getting ripped out and things like that, they go a lot closer in this than they would in most films, and that's not uh, not as a matter of taste, but as a matter of 
well, don't get too close because it won't stand up. Yeah. Whereas I think in this, I mean, this, you know, that that's really where whatever budget they had, you can see that it went in, a in the effects and also to get um, a fifth of Beethoven from uh, Saturday Night Fever at the end, <laughs> for the end sort of battle, you know. But I, I, that's probably where the budget went essentially. Yeah. But you, certainly in terms of the gore, I don't think there's there's nothing in this that wouldn't stand up in anything that is a cinema release yeah. or you know even sort of like la- larger budget stuff or whatever like that. There is nothing in there visually that dips. No, mm. there isn't a shod- There isn't a shoddy monster. No, or there isn't like you know. Crap, like sort of crap blood or mm. anything like that, you know. Some of it as well seemed to go a lot further than, and not further than it needed to, uh, in a negative way. But what I mean is, so like they'd obviously gone to a lot of trouble to do that bit where you can see Travis's spine sticking mm, out yeah, of his yeah. back. Like that must have taken so much time and effort, and you only get it for a few, right. for, yeah, yeah, a few mm. seconds, and then it moves on. So yeah, I think it, and it's things like that that really lend to it and make it feel as a whole yeah. a way better production as you say rather than just oh we'll just keep his shirt on and we'll just paint his face and that'll yeah. be fine also having the restraint to do that though mm. to, it's like this looks the bollocks but we're Don't only going to show you much. we're going to show yeah. you for a few seconds yeah. unlike you know you do yeah. get certain things where you're like right so you spent a lot of money on so, this did you yeah. <laughs> we're going to see this fucking transformation <laughs> six or seven fucking times yeah it you does know, whereas this it's like sort of like no it looks the bollocks move on yeah, yeah. And I think yeah, yeah there's that, something to that. Definitely. That that yeah. that is cl- classy. Yeah, we're yeah. going to call it classy. Mm. I think. Yeah. And again, it was the same. With, so even bef- just before that transformation, where you, he lifts up his shirt and he's been caught with the nail. Mm. Even that. So before there's any sort of built-up prosthetics or anything, and it's literally just makeup that they put on his mm. arm and down his side. It's like it looks amazing, but mm. you only see it for a few seconds, and then all of a sudden it goes up a notch and up a notch. Again. Yeah. But yeah, every part of it looks incredible like so much time has been put on it but as you say it doesn't dwell on it too long that you're just like all right okay we've we've seen yeah it that, that would lose the effect that would yeah. make it seem because too, well, too fake uh, well also at that point you, you you're ramming it down someone's throat but also yeah. you are giving someone the opportunity to pick it apart yeah mm. because you know by the fifth or sixth time it's like right that's lost its shock value mm-hmm. how have yeah. they done this it's the same reason why if you're a magician don't do the same trick just the same like, trick every yeah. time because by the third time you're like so is it a hole under the mm. under the mm. page? Yeah. Is it what do you know? What I mean, you're you're yeah. too busy working it out rather than just going fuck. How do they do that? Mm. And again, it explains what because I'm not looking to pick holes in it, but this time I did look at it with more of a critical eye. Yeah, and as soon mm. as he saw that he was, it was all down his side and like gone. Yeah, yeah, I was like, right at that point, like it doesn't matter that it's your mate's 18th birthday. You go right fuck this, I'm out, I need to go to the hospital. But then, because the transformation then acts straight it's, away, yeah, he didn't have time quick. to yeah. do that. Yeah, it's none, thought, there's none of that sort of... Because you do get that sort of... It'll be like, oh, well, you know, I've lost I've lost a finger, but, you know... It's, we, it's we a party. Ca- well, we can carry on, yeah. yeah. Although I was actually sitting there, I must admit, I was sitting there thinking, well, even with that up there, you're sitting there going, well, I'll stay for a bit. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll get a bit fucked up. And then I'll go. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'll have a couple of drinks first. Yeah, and you then know, I'll get someone to run me to. Yeah, I'll just make sure that I'm sort of. Yeah, you know, I'm. Yeah, let's face it. You want you want to be relaxed when you get down there. <laughs> so you know, get get in the mood. You know, stuff your pockets full of volivons and just get them away. You know, that that was something that actually 
made me shudder the nail as he walked past it and because yeah. it was like it was just such a there's nothing over the top about that it's just a nail but it's almost so real yeah but that's i mean that's a that's a hitchcock trick that uh, is where it's yeah. like do something quite real because then mm. people are in it yeah, yeah. Okay. you know if you it's or like when she treads on the glass not on the club, it was on the, the, the oh the meat, bit of on meat. Yeah. and it's yeah. a, and again it's just the grossness yeah. of that that puts you more in it than yeah. a thousand eviscerations mm. or sort of like being chased down corridors by monsters because that is immediately oh uh, <laughs> no oh what of us what of us stood in there yeah. <laughs> um yeah so we need to discuss actually so Adrian Fisher uh, is the young lady who played Sarah mm. mm-hmm. um uh, one of the one of the posters downstairs that adorns the wall of uh, the screening room yeah. is the It's My Party poster yeah. uh, signed on one side by uh, Tony and then uh, signed on the other side by Adrian which oh, nice. very pleased with part of my pride of my collection um, but yeah so Adrian went on to do a film recently I watched uh, 2017 it came out I only discovered it last summer mm-hmm. uh, a film called The Chop oh right yeah um, so it's uh a lower budget movie um really good it, it's sort of fast and furiously she's mm. a street racer uh if i remember correctly her dad used to do chop shop work for the mob in his garage yeah. and and now he's having money troubles they're leaning on him to say look we can save all your troubles if you do this mm. job for us if she doesn't want to do uh, and she goes out to try and street race to raise the money so he doesn't have to do it. Um, yeah, and it, it's a really good, really good, really fun, entertaining movie. So, so that's interesting, you know, like, how they achieve that on a lower budget? Because do you need access to the streets for racing cars? Uh, it's all done in what's supposed to be like a closed-off um, uh, car park, okay. effectively. Yeah, so they manage, so they can control mm. that environment, and therefore it gives them the ability to drive like you're not allowed to on the streets. Yeah, which, okay, which works well. Um, yeah, but that did really. And the the end of that, the last five minutes or so, as I remember, it turns into like smoking aces, where it's just everybody shooting everybody, and it <laughs> just goes nuts. And the closing title, the closing sequence over the titles. Um, they're all standing pointing guns at each other and they're obviously just standing still for a long time and the camera moves in between them all. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a fantastic shot. I really liked it. Mm. It stuck in my memory from the first time. Um, So, yeah. Go and if you go to the Chop movie website, you can download it. It was only, I think it was like $5 or something for the film. Um, Yeah, and it's well worth it. It's an entertaining hour and a half. Excellent. See, that's the thing is again, like we were saying about with straight to video and things like yeah. that. Now with downloading, you're not even having to do. You are not having to have production of tapes. You're not having to have yeah. covers made. You're not having to have them shipped out and everything else like that. Yeah. So actually, more and more small micro budgeted stuff and everything else can come out a lot easier and a lot quicker to less everyone. barrier to entry yeah. yeah and and you know you don't have to, i mean it's much the same with i mean unfortunately it's it's also inextricably linked with copyright theft yes. because again there's nothing there's nothing that you have to reproduce other than the thing mm-hmm. so you know it's much the same way as it's yes bands can put as put full albums release full albums on bandcamp without having to have a record contract or 
you know, tour or anything else like that. But equally, as soon as it's up there, some fucker can nick it. So, (laughs) and it's the same sort of principle, but it does mean that at least, you know, there is a, there is a marketable way of getting your stuff out there. Again, without that much backing required. Yeah, I think they're definitely, so, so Scotchworthy is the perfect example of that. So, as I say, I heard about it on a podcast. Mm Mm-hmm. Then all went online, ordered the DVD, uh, then followed uh, Tony and Scotchworthy on Facebook and Instagram, and therefore, as a result, every time they do something new, I hear about it. Yeah. Mm. But without, uh, in a pre-internet age, yeah, you wouldn't have had that opportunity. You would literally be trying to sell it by physically going places, I'd imagine, and trying yeah. to offload copies. Um, well, look, if you don't get massive distribution, which mm. is obviously yeah. impossible. Well, I mean, look at like when we, uh, Funny Man, when we covered that, and mm. they said that the time they were trying to do it, sort of like the, the mid-90s, they were literally like going to like fucking dance clubs and things and saying, do you want, do you want this like <laughs> on in the background and shit? You know? <laughs> and it's all sort of like, yeah, how do you get without that? It, again, it's that thing of the democratisation of distribution. Hmm. I mean, obviously, no matter what happens, Avengers Endgame is going to be slightly more publicised <laughs> than your than your film. Yeah. But it does mean that you, you know, you're not fighting the uphill struggle of like, hmm. I need to try and get this in a cinema. Yeah. Or I need to, I mean, and not only that, but also I'd imagine the amount of stuff that Shudder, Netflix and things like that, mm. where they'll buy things or they'll back things and stuff like that. The thirst for content is in their advantage. Yeah. You know. I mean it's not it's not necessarily because also the thirst for content means any old shit will do something. I was gonna say this is the other <laughs> this is the other the flip side of it, Oz, mm. is that yeah, anyone can get their movie out there, but it means that to find a good movie, as we've said before, with independent cinema you might have to sit through the first half an hour of 15 movies that are absolutely god-awful before you find one. And this, I think this film, uh, and not long after I saw this, I think I saw Thanks Killing, I saw them both fairly close mm. together, and that reinvigorated my love for indie films. And, yeah. and just, look, I know I've watched some real crap, but, but, there are some but when you find these ones, mm. yeah, and it just makes it, it all It is so, panning for gold, it really is. Yeah, you yeah. sort of, you find these little moments it's like how many low budget sort of like low budget barely anything happens British horror films did I watch to find a dark song yes mm. you know and plenty of ones that were like hmm okay yeah I, I, I consider this a film I've watched <laughs> that's all I can say on the matter saying that this links double into this so a dark song and independent cinema um guest of the show Darney um who was on a Cabin in the Woods episode, mm-hmm. um, who mentioned on there how much he hated me for making him watch uh, Die You Zombie Bastards. Um, yep. I have now made up for that because he messaged me last weekend and said, oh, I'm sitting in, I'm not in the mood for anything particularly, give me a suggestion. I told him to go and watch a dark song. He messaged me back and said, all is forgiven. That's fucking amazing. Yeah. So that's, mm. so that's good. I've redeemed myself in his eyes. And we've spread the word. To yes. You know. Um, so moving on so after the guys made this mm-hmm. uh, they did a few shorts uh, they did a, a zombie Nazi movie that was really good A Chance in Hell um, and then they made The Muck which is literally like a six minute short 
Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really good. And then the next large production, I believe, if I've got it correct, they started on Skeletons in the Closet, which oh, I know we've mentioned previously. Their mm-hmm. most recent yeah. one, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and then I think after they'd started that, they were kind of simultaneously working on the Rake, right? Um, which came out uh, last year. Uh, so that and Skeletons in the Closet both ended up coming out around the same time. Um, and yeah, Skeletons in the Closet was fantastic. But it's, it's great to see the same team, I believe. Mm. Um, but it's still Scotch Weaving Productions, so I'm guessing it's the same core team who works on this suddenly being given a way bigger budget mm, yeah. um, and access to a lot more uh, resources, really. Um, yeah, and seeing what they did with that. It's, it's such a not a depart from this um, an evolution but yeah and, and it was great to watch that in real time as well yeah. um, perhaps so yeah. we should line that up then for a, yeah. you know, a few def- months time I, I definitely want to see it just because well because I, I this is a great film mm. and it's a, you know and I think I mean it's it's very it's reminiscent of um, I, I think it reminds me of Night of the Demons in terms of the Effects and the mm. gore reminds me of the Evil Dead. Yeah, particularly actually Evil Dead Two because there's a lot more in your faceness of sort of stuff. And I'll tell you what as well, um, the actress who plays D. Yeah, I'm not sure whether she. Can't, I'm not sure whether she's not very good at walking or she's really really good at falling over. But she's really <laughs> really good at falling over. That's what I'm going with. She no, but again, that feels more realistic that someone's like yeah. struggling to sort of like keep someone out of the room and they just when the floor is caked in blood exactly you know you shouldn't have perfect fucking balance at that point it it makes a lot more sense yeah Um, but I also I really liked when uh, I yeah I think it is when when she was being uh, killed and there's sort of like gouts of gore hitting the door yes. mm-hmm. and just slowly peeling down like those yeah. uh, octopuses you used to yeah. get as a kid you know and you just like throw them um, and the chest explosion again like I'd almost forgotten about that until literally <laughs> she was sitting with her back facing them and they were against the door and I was like I've just remembered what's about to happen here and I'm not going to tell Chris <laughs> um, yeah I remember there being an in-depth uh, showing of that in the, the making of documentary mm. exactly how they got that effect um, I think we need to. I think we need to mention. I love the fact that he is Uncle Tom in this because I don't think anyone. <laughs> I don't think anyone in anyone in horror cannot think of Tom Savini as a kind as a kindly <laughs> uncle. Yes. Um, but yeah, he obviously. We were sort of uh, we were explaining him to Chris. Yeah. So because I I was like oh, I've seen him I've seen him in something definitely and I know you told me what he was in but I didn't quite put it together yeah. and someone was like oh I've definitely seen it and then Adam told me afterwards Dust Till Dawn yes yeah, sex yeah. Machine. Like, that's yes. it that, yeah, yeah. of course how could I have forgotten of course yeah so I went for all of his special effects films yeah. where you mm. don't actually see him which wouldn't have helped but you when for some reason when you was talking about it I was thinking Dust Till Dawn who could it have been in Dust Till Dawn and then, <laughs> but then I sort of forgot about it then when I saw him I still just couldn't quite think of it yeah but, yeah. but I mean obviously I mean he sort of really his start up was with George Romero mm. uh, so he did like Martin and Night of the uh, sorry no he didn't do Night of the, Dawn of the Dead Day of the Dead um, also I mean his really his story stems from the fact he was in uh, he was in Vietnam but he was actually a photographer like mm. an army photographer uh. and he said that a lot of how he 
dealt with what he yeah, saw that's... was because he was photographing it. He said that he had the removal of the lens, yeah, sort of abstracted. Yeah, slightly, it sort but... of made. It, he mm. said, and it, like he grew up watching like monster movies and things like that. And he said, mm. and, you know, as soon as the camera, as soon as the camera was between him and what he was seeing, it, it then becomes the an effect. Somehow, yeah. But mm. it does also mean that everything he <laughs> saw there went into his mind on how to yeah, yeah. reproduce it. And as he puts yeah. it, it's like you have things like you know he said. Um, you know, a body, a dead body, the eyes are still open, the jaw mm. goes slack. It's mm. not a pretty, you're not pretty and asleep. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. And, but I mean, he, obviously, because of the amount of effects work he did, I mean, uh, Friday the 13th. Yeah, he did the Maniac, he did the gunshot in Maniac. Mm. Yeah, Creep Show 2. It's he, fantastic. In Creep Show 2, I didn't realise he actually plays the creep who's in yes, the back of yes, the. Yes, he is actually, van. yeah. Of course, because that's the thing as well. He has actually, I mean, he's got, I'm just looking at it here, 69 actual acting roles. Mm. Wow. Mm. And again, you know, he's in, he has bit parts in a lot of the uh, stuff that he did makeup on and things like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, one of the, one of the real uh, sort of, I'd say, uh, sex machine in uh, From Dust Till Dawn is probably the one that sort of, uh, most people remember. Yeah, because what's because what's it? He he has a machine gun. No, it's a, it's a cod, cod piece. piece. Oh, it's, yeah, the, right. it's a gun. It's right, it's like yeah. basically a dick and balls revolver. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the best way to. Chris, because you recently watched Friday the Thirteenth for mm. the first time, the original one. He did all the effects on that. Yeah, yeah. So he's certainly done done a lot. Yeah, he has earned his stripes without yeah. doubt. Poor blimey, yeah. And if you follow him on Instagram. Uh, I believe I believe he's seventy three, and mm. he posted a picture of himself without a shirt on, and I would. <laughs> Seriously, well, that's, he keeps himself in, in remarkable trim. High does. praise. It is high praise, you know. Yeah, well, even in this, as you say, it's, it's only ten years ago. Yeah, and mm. he's still bulky he's, in his tight shirt. You know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't mind having a body like that, and I'm but half the, his age. But I think also it's the way. I think that's also that that stems tends to sort of colour what parts he gets mm. he's usually sort of thugs villains uh, you know, just cases just yeah. remembered he was in Machete as well yeah yeah and because I think actually that's his name in isn't that his name in Dawn of the Dead because he's a biker in that and he and that's his main weapon is a machete he could well be right but he yeah I mean he's just sort of like it just says motorcycle radar oh, and fair DB, but, uh, but he's again he's, he's sort of like he is certainly in terms of this film he's the biggest name in it yeah but again it's it's a cameo from uh, another person who is a king of cameos you know like you yeah. say he's earned he's earned his stripes and now he just reaps the reward of being asked to be in uh, other people's films mm. yeah and, and you said that I mean I would not only that but also I would say that in terms of the effects of this I would say he would approve oh without a shadow of a doubt you know yeah. I don't think you know I don't think he was you know he wasn't it wasn't a snoop moment he didn't just turn up for his <laughs> thousand pounds and go home yeah so, no no know? definitely not <laughs> um it's saying about the actors you said earlier about how good the acting was mm. and that's the same I mean I'm I'm assuming that these were friends of mm. yeah, Tony so and people he that. knew maybe but, but they certainly seem you know to have done what I thought quite a lot of acting class and then at the end it showed them sort of um, behind the scenes mm. and on the outtakes yeah and, and they were clearly you know doing quite a lot of practice yeah 
I think a lot of the, a lot of this sort of stuff tends to stem from people if they're doing film courses and things like that. You tend to you know people. It's like like similarly with like uh, Evil Dead. You know they knew. Yeah, he knew um, Bruce Campbell who wanted to be an actor and so on and so forth. And I think it's sort of yeah, it sort of tends to spiral out of that a bit, or at least you tend to you tend to find people. I mean. Ambition versus talent is a is a hell of a kicker, mm, but yeah. you know you, you tend to find people who are at least have uh, wanting to be actors or they're wanting to do this sort of stuff. So a lot of it does tend to stem from if people are doing film courses or like education things like that. Even a lot of the time, I I can't remember who it was, but there was uh, it was someone like who doing low budget and they said, look, you know, your worst. The worst thing that's going to happen is that you just don't want anyone there. Mm. But go to your local college and go to the drama class. Or just say, and just see, what, mm. right, what are you doing this weekend? Do you want to do this? Yeah. You know, because it's, for them, it's stuff that goes on a CV. Mm. And for you, you've actually got someone who cares yeah. or sort of, you know, is will have a better understanding of what you're after from them. Mm. Uh, so I'm just looking uh, only because I was looking at the other roles that the actors have done. Mm-hmm. Um, most of them have only got three or four movies in their repertoire. Mm-hmm. Uh, apart from uh, Christopher Patrick, who played uh, Mr. Burkett. Oh, right, yeah. Uh, um, right, yeah. Yeah, and he has now been in... So the top mm. films on here are The Avengers, Super mm. 8, Abduction, and The Last Witch Hunter. So he's clearly doing... Uh, Doing well for himself, which is fantastic. Yeah, so he's the makeup artist. But yeah, so well, makeup department makeup is yeah. The, so what? So what's he acted for. in? Requiem of the Damned. Yeah. Mm. So so four. So a, a short, this a TV movie, and something called Requiem for the Damned. Mm. Um. So yeah, it looks like. So this might be that they were all doing makeup and special effects together, yeah. perhaps. Yeah. And that'd explain why, if that's what they're all primarily into that would be why they are so outstanding Mm, Um, also you have that sort of thing where it's like right okay what we need for you to do with this role is you need to you you know he he doesn't have any lines Mm. but if he's got the look which he definitely did did. do you know what I mean (laughs) so it's obviously like you've got this guy Mm. he's going to be on set anyway because he's helping you because he's doing the makeup as well yeah or Similarly, you know, if you've well, I mean, case in point, Bob in Twin Peaks was a carpenter. Yes, he was like an on-set carpenter, and he just happened to be in a frame. And before you know it, he is it the embodiment worked. of evil within that world. Yeah, you know, and it's just yeah, yeah, he just happened to be a bloke in a denim jacket with long hair. Yeah. So, uh, so finally, um, the latest production that's just been wrapped, uh, and well, it's not just been wrapped. Sorry, has just been released is. Um, Amazon VOD uh, in the States, but I don't think you can get it here yet. Um, High on the Hog mm. is oh, Scott Worthy's yes. latest film, uh, which I cannot wait to see. Um, so it goes to show you. So from this, yeah, it obviously just getting your, your uh, I assume your friends together and trying to draw together a budget. Yeah, so their latest film starred Sid Haig, Joe Estevez, and uh, Robert Zadar. Oh, right. mm. So. Even just that cast, I think, tells you yeah, you'll get... how far they've come. Mm. And is that you put the budget? Uh, so yeah, so these are the estimated budget mm. from um, 
based on what's on IMDb. Okay. So the estimated budget for this film was 30k. Mm. This is all in uh, US dollars, obviously. Um, high on the hog, it's got 1.2. Uh, but yeah, million. Yeah, 1.2 million. Yeah, sorry. Um, and the rake, which is the one that they worked on uh, with Red Band. Uh, had an estimated six million budget. Mm. Um, so to say, that goes to show you yeah. how far they've come and what they've been working on. Um, so that was Red Band and Scotchworthy. Uh, okay. But there's stuff in that, like the opening shot in the rake is uh, it's very reminiscent of the beginning of The Shining. So it's them driving in a car through the forest and it's mm. all being tracked from above for ages, like a long tracking shot. Yeah. Um, yeah, so things like that cost obviously an absolute fortune um but again the the effects on the rake as well like the design of the monster and everything were fantastic yeah um yeah so it's nice they it, it, say it's just it's really nice to see that if someone puts something together and puts enough effort in like with mm. this how far you can go just on the merits of your own effort and, and abilities without having to you know, oh well, my uncle works for a you know yes, yeah yeah works works in, in the studio business or whatever or was born into a family with yeah, it. It goes to show that work yeah you can work towards it yeah mm. which is fantastic. Oh yeah, the, uh, my family um, the, was the, my uh, uncle was the producer. Of it. Have you ever heard of the James Bond film? <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually uh, White Bus Company, who we've mentioned before, mm -hmm. um, they are showing. Think it's the man with the golden gun, but don't quote me on it. In an airplane hangar in <laughs> Southend Airport, because there's a scene in the film that yes. was shot in that mm. airplane hangar. Yeah, probably is. It, I think it is man with the golden gun because there's a flying car in it, ah. which was actually a real thing. A man had designed a flying car, and they said, "Great, we'll get him in the film." Between them saying, "Do you want to come and do the film?" and them filming it, he crashed it and died. Oh, so they then built. A remote control airplane version of the car, oh, but the actual thing—the thing was a working. It, it was a working thing, but yeah, unfortunately, the bloke—I don't know whether it was just how poorly piloting it was, mm. but yeah. Well, I suppose if you've built your own car, you possibly don't need an aviation. Or he? Oh no, no, it was, no! It's, it was a car, and you just bolted this thing on top of it that made it into an aeroplane. So it's like a Ford Anglia with, <laughs> with like wings stuck to the top. Yeah, that doesn't sound safe in any no. imagination. No, it's a James Bond film. That's the one good mm. thing you can get with watching a James Bond film is you look at it and just think, everyone on here has probably killed themselves yeah. <laughs> because all the stunts are mental, all the stuntmen are real. There's, um, what one is it? Um, I think it's You Only Live Twice. Hmm. There's a big helicopter battle in that. And uh, at one point... Apparently, one of the cameramen was dangling out of the side of a helicopter filming another helicopter. They got a bit too close, and it chopped his foot off. Fucking so, but, but here's the thing, is the director's like on one of the things talking about it, and he said, so in typical bloody fashion, he only pans down and looks at it. <laughs> so we had to cut there. And it's like, what, because there's a geezer with one fucking leg with blood spurting out of it. Yeah. Jesus. But again, this is all the shit that used to go on on these films. You know, mm. it, it's... I think it's something that's probably slightly lost in years of sort of CGI and things like that. Yeah. Is that when you watch a lot of these films, it's like, oh, bloke just jumped onto a Harrier jump yet. Oh, no, he probably just did. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's a thing he said about it. I think it was Neil Gaiman said, you've got, um, what was it? He said, you've got Arnie and you've got Jackie Chan. 
And he said in an Arnie film, there'll be like a green screen underneath something and then they jump uh, they jump off the skyscraper onto the plane. Yeah. In a Jackie Chan movie, he jumps off the skyscraper onto the plane <laughs> and hopes for the best. Yeah. <laughs> How that man is still with us is an absolute miracle. But the fact he is, I'm very pleased. Oh yeah, without a doubt, I love his films. Um, is it time for... Uh, a new segment. Mm. Yes. Oh, the new segment. Yes. yes. Claire's was... drunken trailers. Okay. All right, let's see if you can work this one out. I think, fortunately, it's someone we watched a lot of films of, so you might. It's not too bad that she mentions something okay. at the start. Right. Oh, John Carpenter. <laughs> Cuts it down, doesn't it? The moon, like a tiny chest on an old man. <laughs> Fire fingers through a wall. It's evil. It is real. Man smoking. A ghost and an old Chinese man. Oh. This book looks like a monkey's cross. And some green drips. Ah. Hmm. Now these. Yes. So I've seen people and then ants. I'm assuming they're zombies. Ants must be a symbol. Is that Alice Cooper? It's the one in the church, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so far we've got Alice Cooper, Mr Miyagi and, Wayne, and Garth from Wayne's World. <laughs> uh, someone's got water pissing out their eyes. I'm assuming that blonde man with a moustache is a dad. He looks like a dad. They're trapped in a tomb. Lots of dribbling in this film. We've got some insects coming up. Dribbling and judo must be a theme. <laughs> oh, and fingertips. Right, there's no way a priest could just chuck an axe that size. No way. That axe would have to weigh what a stone easily. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I missed the last half of the thing there because I was so upset about the, the axe. Let me rewind it. <laughs> I don't think she's drunk enough. <laughs> oh no. No way you can throw that. <laughs> and then. That, right, hang on. Let me rewind that and you tell me if you didn't see this out of context, you wouldn't think this was a climax scene from a gay porn film. <laughs> Wait. He's from the axe. Sort of Other word. Big A. And then the hands touching. Prince of Darkness. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Luckily, you've got it. It should go with him. I could not quite figure out. The so we so we figured that one out fairly yes. fairly swiftly. I yeah. think. Yeah, what was the first bit though? There's green dripping. Man smoking a cigarette. Yeah. Now there's ants. Yeah. Is that his Cooper? Yeah. The, the best bit is you should have seen her face because she's obviously talking about um, Tom Atkins, and she said, "Oh, blonde man with a moustache. He's a dad. He must be a dad." And I was like, "No, he's the romantic lead." <laughs> I need to re-watch the trailer now and see. Which, oh yeah. yeah. So I got it from the green dripping bits because it was like a John Carpenter film. It must. It, it's obviously got yeah, that, that from the cylinder. But because um, I think at first when it was old Chinese man, you're assuming oh it's got to be trouble. I was going to say trouble. Yeah. yeah. 
And then she said, oh, he looks like a monk. And I was like, what? Who's mm. a, what? Yeah. But Excellent. Yes, well done, Claire. Yeah. Fantastic. She does, <laughs> she does get upset with these trailers a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, well, I think one thing is mm. obviously you gentlemen it's your birthday I'll Ooh. buy you a Bacardi love it's your birthday etc <laughs> etc et so we have in here your birthday presents oh because exciting. because I probably won't see you this side of your birthdays now so no yeah. right for you sir oh thank you Ooh, party time and for you sir oh thank you are we opening these on uh, yeah yeah go, on for air? It. go for it Thank you very much. I like this paper. Uh, yeah, thank Claire for that. That was uh, one of one of many rolls that was just, <laughs> hid, just hidden around the flat. She's a, she's the stationary equivalent of an alcoholic. <laughs> you know when it's like you find gin bottles in the bog and things yeah, like that. Yeah, she's just got... you some, suddenly find like, uh, hang on, what's all this? Uh, what's all this wrapping paper doing behind the fridge? <laughs> it comes in useful. It does. Oh, it's a box. Yeah, always thinking of you, Lee. <laughs> oh, wow. Ooh. Excellent. That is very good. I thought, Info Gothic. Yes. I thought you. I thought that may appeal, sir. Yeah. Oh, an unauthorised mm. graphic guide to Hammer Horror. Yeah. Awesome. I thought Fantastic. it would appeal. It's filled with facts and figures yeah. and things. And then you can watch it and decide which films you yeah. definitely need to see next. Because I suddenly realised when I bought that, we've only done one Hammer film. Mm. The whole time we've been doing this, we've done oh, the Devil gee, Rides Out, right. and then yeah. nothing else. We've done a lot with, you know, other people. <gasps> but... Wow! And that wow! <laughs> just, just wow! <laughs> that is unbelievable. Whoa! Yeah, that's that's got a bit of stone. <laughs> so yes, <laughs> no way could a priest throw that. No. Um, Lee, you're no priest. So we will definitely put a picture up of this. It is uh, an actual hatchet. With Welcome to Horror carved into the handle. It's fantastic. Amazing. Thank you so much. That is absolutely unbelievable. I thought it might brighten <gasps> the place up, but also I did I also want to make a disclaimer now that if you use it on anyone, yeah. I am not an accessory. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is amazing. Thank you so much. That's alright. It was oh. yeah. <laughs> thought it'd appeal. Yeah. Chuffed as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic. Um, so our next episode is Event Horizon, I believe. Mm. Is it not? Yes, because that's the other half of the birthday choices. Yes, yes. Uh, and we and will be we... bringing in. Mm. Hopefully, we will possibly be bringing in a guest for that one. We will need to contact him, and I will let you do that and do the organising, Chris, because I will be in Canada okay. in the run up. So. Uh, and who is it? Daryl. Daryl. Ah. Um, we had a party round here. We drunk an awful lot. And he said to me, you really need to do mm. Event Horizon. And I love that film. And if you do it, I would love to come on it. And Excellent. then when we were saying about birthday choices and you said, I'd quite like to watch Event Horizon again. I was like, right, well, that's it, it two birds works. and one Perfect. stone. Yeah. So get I'll in contact with him. him and uh, yeah, we shall do that next. Excellent. Um, thanks ever so much for listening, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, you know where you can reach us. We are at info at welcometohorror.com. Uh, we are on Instagram. We're on uh, Facebook. We are on Facebook. 
Uh, that's getting updated a lot more by Lady Jennifer now, yeah. which is is helpful. Anyone fancies giving us five star reviews, please feel free. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, don't forget to send your questions to hashtag Ask Welcome to Horror on Instagram. Adam's waving his finger. No, at me. I just had a. I, I did have an Ask Welcome to Horror, but we'll do it next episode because I, I I suddenly no, I just remembered that I had oh, told yeah. you guys. So, right. Yeah. No worries. Excellent. Right, so we've got that to look forward to for the next episode. Um, and hopefully, if all goes well, there will be an interview following with Tony Walsh now. Yeah. Um, excellent. So thanks very much for coming on, Tony. We really appreciate it. We just wanted to ask you a few questions about Scotchworthy Productions in general, all of your filmography, uh, but primarily um, it's my party and I'll die if I want to. So thanks very yeah. much for coming on. I Well, thanks for having me on. I, I think it's... um. When you had messaged me and said that you had a couple questions about It's My Party, I was like, first of all, I was like, why are you talking about that 10-year-old movie? <laughs> um, but at the same time, you know, it's really cool, Lee, because, it's, you know, like I was just saying, we've known each other for for such a long time. We've obviously never met or anything, but you've been supporting um, my career and been following the productions that my company's put out for so long. And it, it just means a lot to me that you have been so supportive over the years. And so, you know, I would, I, I would love nothing more than that. The, I have the opportunity to sit and talk with you about these movies a little bit. Oh, thank you so much. We, um, that we were discussing before about, uh, independent movies, um, and how it, your movie was one of the ones I've been through. There's so much crap out there. Um, because now anybody can release a movie without needing a massive backing. Um, and I think I'd been through maybe a dozen bad ones in a row and I was just about to, to go, oh, do you know what? There's just, there's too much out there. Um, and then this came along, uh, and then not long after I saw Thanks Killing. Yeah. And it just totally turned me back around on, uh, on, on low budget, sort of self-produced, uh, independent movies. Yeah, and I I loved this, and I rushed out and showed Adam and people. Thanks very much. It's uh yeah, put me back on track. Oh well, I mean I'm glad that I put you back on track. It's uh you know it's my party and I'll die if I want to is definitely a a movie made with a lot of heart and a lot of passion. You know we um I produced that the third and fourth semester of uh. Tom Savini special effects school when I was going to school there, which is in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, and you know, we were taking pictures of all of the makeups that we were doing in class. And, uh, I just thought, well, if we're doing special effects makeup for movies, why aren't we taking video of these makeups? Um, you know, that way people can see what does it look like when your character smiles or screams or frowns and, you know, you can see the, you know, in action what your makeup is doing, um, because that's ultimately what we were all doing makeup for. And so it's my party and I'll die if I want to kind of was a, um, was an answer to a, a problem that I felt we were dealing with. Um, and originally I was going to do a music video and just have a bunch of friends, you know, kind of do some makeups for that. And then I thought it, it kind of fell apart because nobody who had talked about being interested in being a part of that music video ended up doing anything with it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I didn't really do a lot of the, I, you know, I would have had to start organizing the production end of it. And, um, you know, I think that was about the same time we were starting to work on our animatronics in class. Um, and 
which subsequently my animatronic ended up not working. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, uh, uh, you know, it it got to the point where um, when the music video didn't happen, there was an old house that uh, that we had access to. And uh, one of the guys I went to school with was like, why don't we shoot a movie in there? And I was like, you know, I mean, I was going to do something like this anyway, so I'll write a script, you write a script, and whichever one we like more, we'll do it. And I came back with a script, and he never really finished his, from what I remember. Um, (laughs) My script was a a different story than It's My Party, but uh, I had sent it to a, a, a director that I had known at the time, and he read it and he said, oh, this would cost way too much money. This would be at least $100,000 to make this movie. And I was like, okay, well, thanks for the vote of confidence. I guess I've got to write something <laughs> different. So I, and, and he was right. I mean, the, the script I had written was very, it, it involved all sorts of stuff. And it would have been, you know, it would have involved us traveling all over Pittsburgh and shooting at different locations and, and, and a full body monster makeup and stuff. So I, I, I literally went right back to the drawing board and wrote it's my party and I'll die if I want to. And, um, and so now here we are almost 11 years later after it was released and, uh, we started shooting in 2005. So it's been 14 years since we started shooting that movie. And it's, it's crazy to see how that was the, the start of my filmmaking career and that it was almost 15 years ago already. Yeah, it's, it's, I was saying to the guys, it's been wonderful seeing the development of your career kind of in real time, really. So seeing how you started with with that and just, you know, obviously clawing whatever money you could together and just getting your friends involved and, and going from there. Uh, and then, yeah, seeing your stuff now. So comparing that to Skeletons in the Closet and The Rake. Um, yeah, just seeing how it's worlds apart, but seeing all the steps along the way. Um, yeah, it's been really exciting for me. Uh, and it's yeah, it, it's it's reassuring to see a good film and actually see the people who make it get to where they should be and not give up or, you know, just just drop it and, and go to a day job. So it's been really exciting for us watching you as well. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, you know, it's not to, it's not to come without sacrifices. I mean, you know, I do still have a day job. My job right now is actually an overnight job. Um hmm. So, you know, I, I literally work from midnight to noon. Uh, and, and so that, you know, definitely changes up my schedule. And, um, I know that a lot of my friends still work day jobs and, and then the guys who, um, the guys and, and girls, uh, I certainly don't want to, you know, state that as, as one gender, but, um, the people that I work with who are in the industry full time, you know, they're doing a lot of corporate work and they do uh, commercials and they do industrial videos. Um, but you know, some of my friends have been fortunate enough to get to a point where, where they don't have to do the quote unquote boring stuff anymore. They can focus strictly on narrative work and, and uh, do a lot of really cool projects here and there. And so it, it is really exciting to, to be at the point where, things aren't aren't the the running gunning um style of of making a movie with you know five dollars in your pocket um you know but yeah it's my party i i spent my life savings making that movie i basically said to myself you know i was like 
at the time when I started making it to my party, I was 25 years old and I was halfway through going to Tom Savini special effects school, which was a big decision in my life. You know, I, I had gotten out of college in 2002 and I had a bachelor's degree and, and I was kind of working the regular day jobs for a little while. And, and I wasn't really doing anything with movies. And I'd always told people, you know, my friends and my family through, probably when I was in junior high, which is when you're like 11, 12 years old, um, I had said, you know, I want to be a film director. I want to make movies. And, uh, and so for me to then graduate college and, and be two years into the adult world and never make a movie, I was just kind of like, why am I lying to them? And why am I lying to myself? I need to go after this dream. If, if I don't, I'm going to, I'm always going to regret it. Mm. And, uh, so that's what made me go out to Pittsburgh to go to school. And, um, and then, like I said, I made that movie and, and it's like, you just, you have to keep going because otherwise I just feel like I would be disappointing myself and, and the people that, that I've told, you know, for the last 20 years of my life that I want to be a movie director. It's like, Oh yeah. Remember when he said that? Well, you never did it. <laughs> and now no one can say that about me. So, um, but it's tough. And, and each of these projects that you've seen the people that I work with create, you know, they, they don't come without sacrifices. And, you know, I've spent a lot of time and money on these things. And I'm just glad that, that people such as yourself enjoy them as much as you do and, and support what Scotchworthy's been doing all these years. And, um, I appreciate the fact that the people who help me make them are willing to take the time out of their, you know, busy lives to, to be involved in these projects because, you know, there are plenty of people that I've met and that I've worked with over the years that do not create quality work. And I say that not just as a filmmaker, but as a fan as well. And, you know, I've seen people that we all work with together, stop working with people because Mm -hmm. they're unreliable or they're not they're They don't make good movies. Um, and so I'm thankful that people continue to have the willingness to work with me because that shows that they clearly are proud of what we create together. And um, that truly means more to me than anything else. So, yeah, it's it's amazing that the thing that we came away with uh, more than anything, as you say, with uh, the fact that you spent your life savings on it. Um, obviously, we came from the uh, estimated figure that's on uh, for the spend on IMDb for the movie. Um, but yeah, we were saying, you know, we've seen films that have cost, you know, 10 times that and haven't achieved anywhere near as much. Um, it's it, it's everything from the cinematography. Uh, the sound was amazing. We find we were saying the thing we find a lot with indie movies. Um, as soon as you go from outside to a large room to a small room, you almost have to sit there with your hand on the, the remote control because the volume goes up and down. And then there's a the sound of wind in the background and it, it it's a kind of cacophony of sound and you lose a lot. Um, and you lose a lot of the dialogue and things. Um, didn't have any of that in uh, in It's My Party. Um, all the lighting works fantastically. Um, none of the actors as well. I'll ask you about those in a minute. Um, uh, and again, the, the main thing, though, was the special effects. That Chris was just like, how do they do it? Like, it's just on such a small budget. It's just unbelievable. So did you all come from a special effects background primarily? Yeah, so um as I said I was going to Tom Savini's special effects school at the time 
I wrote the script during my third semester and did casting um, and location scouting then. And then during my fourth semester uh, is when we started shooting the movie. And we had, um, so I had about $15,000 um, and I spent 5000 of that buying a camera, which was not even a high definition camera. And it was a Canon XL2 or XL1. I don't recall. Um, it was a standard definition camera. I had never used a high-end prosumer camera before, so I knew nothing about gain or shutter speed or aperture settings. Um, you know, all the how to make make a movie demos that I had checked out. Because um, even at the time, you know, there wasn't anything on YouTube or or anything like that. I mean, at that point, Netflix was still only DVDs in the mail. And so, um, you know, I would, I got like Lloyd Kaufman's how to make your own damn movie, um, five disc series. I rented that from Netflix and, um, just kind of had a lot of books that I read through and, you know, they talked about using work lights that you could buy it at home Depot or a home improvement store. Um, if you, I, I don't know if you have home depots in, in England or not. No. Um, okay. <laughs> So, you know, you, you know, you go to a home improvement store and you buy the, the big 500 watt work lights and um, you get some theater gels and you put those over it to give the different colors. And I had a girl that I was going to school with who was going to help on the movie who was in theater at home. And she got back from from Christmas break and she said, oh, well, I had gone into my into school, into my high school and saw the theater director and they gave me these these three, you know, spools of, of, um, of light gels. And I had a blue, I had a green and I had an orange. And those are pretty much what I had to light everything with, unless it was just a, a regular, you know, regular colored light. And, um, so, you know, it, it, I, I am surprised you compliment the cinematography and the lighting because I didn't know at all what I was doing. Um, <laughs> I, I've always been a fan of cinematography. And so the angles and, um, you know, the composition of the shots, the framing was something that I took a lot of pride in. Um, you know, using a wheelchair for a dolly and stuff like that. <laughs> um, but other than that, I don't feel like the lighting or the, or the actual look of, of the movie is anything to brag about. So it's nice that people still, enjoy it for what it is um and the the acting we got lucky you know the we had i held six days worth of auditions and the the savini school let me use one of their classrooms as a room for my auditions and um majority of the people who auditioned for the movie were either local town people from from the town that the school is in um, or they were class, they were students in the classes that I was in. And so after the fifth day of, sh of auditions, I had, uh, I had a cast of people that I was okay with. You know, I felt like, okay, these guys can all, they'll, they'll, they'll do an okay job, but I'm not really happy. You know, I, I don't feel like these people are going to give me exactly what I want for these characters. You know, they're not visually what I was hoping for. They're just not what I pictured. And the last hour of the last day of auditions, 
these at, at two different points in time, these four girls walked in and they were from Seton Hill University, which is a very small liberal arts college that's about 20 minutes from where I was going to school. And they had heard about the audition and they wanted to try out and they were all sophomores in college at the time. So they were all like 20 years old. And that is ultimately where Adrian Fisher, who plays the lead Sarah and uh, Darcy Wood, who played um, D and has been in pretty much all of my movies ever since. And uh, Danielle Nordham, who um, was the blonde, she was Cassie in the movie. And then also, um, their friend, and I feel terrible, but I forgot her name. Um, was it Jamie? It might have been Jamie. Um, she she is the the girl who's in the back. She played not Little Red Riding Hood. She was the the girl in the back seat of Ben Tramer's car when they're sitting outside of the car. Yes. Yeah. He he drives away to get some burgers and fries. The girl who was sitting in the back seat was the fourth one to come in, and they blew my mind. You know, they were like, this is exactly what I wanted. These girls are perfect. Um, and so it, it just worked out. It really, really worked out and it was awesome. Um, and then the special effects that, that just came naturally because I basically told everybody in my classes and all my friends, I'm like, guys, I'm directing a movie, you know? And, and they were like, Oh, you are really? Ha ha ha. And then they saw the camera and they saw that I was holding auditions in the school and they saw that I was actually taking the time to orchestrate a production. And so then people started saying, yeah, I mean, I want to help. This sounds cool. And it wasn't easy. You know, we, we barely had electricity in the house. Um, there were no running toilets. There was no running water in the house um, that we were shooting in. Uh, Burkett Manor had no heating in it. And we were shooting in like February and March. So it was very cold. And and then half the time we would blow the, the fuse box was like a hundred years old and we would blow fuses all the time because I was running two heaters to heat one of the rooms that we were shooting in as at the same time that we were using those lights and those lights were big lights. So it's like, we're, it was just, it was a struggle from the, from the, the first moment to the last moment of shooting that movie. But we became a family together and, um, you know, really, I thought had some really cool stuff in there that, that was great. And, um, and then even the post-production aspect of it, you know, uh, this guy named Roderick Magsino, who I met just coincidentally, I think through online or through mutual friends, it was through mutual friends. Um, he was going to a school in Chicago for sound design. And he was interested in helping and he did all of the post-production sound work and composed a lot of the music in the movie. And so it, it sounds as, as good as it does because of him, you know, so everything just fell into place. We were very fortunate. The, the little things as well we were saying. So like the, the comic book framing mechanism, we really like that rather than having like a, a typical montage the way that you framed them all in the, the comic book panels and had them all running at once. It, it's just those little touches that we just thought, you know, it's, it's so much extra effort for you to have done it that way. Um, but it, it's what makes the film pay off as, as well as it does. So it, where did that idea come from? Do you remember? Uh, well, the idea came from my love for like movies like Creepshow, which is the 
the first horror film, the first colored horror film that I ever remember watching as a kid. Um, and, uh, you know, influences like Fright Night and uh, Night of the Demons and Return of the Living Dead, you know, Night of the Creeps, all these 80s horror films that just had that kind of fun nature to them. You know, you, you don't take them too seriously, but you take the horror elements in them seriously. Mm-hmm. And um, those were all my influences for this film. And um, at the time, my my producing partner, Chris Patrick, and I had just gone back and forth a number of times with different ideas. Um, and my my roommate, who uh, was also going to the school, his name is Steven Weimer. And, you know, the three of us kind of just went through a lot of different ideas and talked about, you know, how are we going to do this? And what are we going to do with this scene? And how do we get the characters from point A to point B? And, you know, they just really helped me kind of steer in different directions that maybe I wouldn't have come up on my own. And ultimately those ideas just all kind of came along the way. And, and, you know, I wanted a very creep show feel because that's why I used, you know, um, the lighting choices that I had, you know, the rooms are, like I said, very green or very blue or very red, you know, it's very comic booky. It's very theatrical. And since I didn't have the opportunity to make them look more naturally lit, I thought I'm going to play into my inhibitions and my, my, um, my weaknesses. And I'm going to, I'm going to make those kind of what makes this movie more unique. Um, and so then I played off of those themes that we shot on set in the post-production end of it, when I was editing it and when I was creating those comic book panels um, to kind of give it that feel. And I thought it'd be more fun. Um, you know, it, like you said, it's not just a traditional montage. It, I made it a little more unique than that. And at the same time, it got us through some of the boring moments in the movie um, because it made it a little bit more enjoyable and that also played into the thematic elements that I was going for with the choose your own adventure aspect of the movie where, you know, each of the choose your own adventure menus are comic book panels as well. So it just kind of all created, you know, this, this look that, that was cohesive from, from the beginning to the end of the movie. And, um, you know, it's those little touches that I think are what make it's my party and I'll die if I want to such a, a memorable independent movie from, from, you know, 10 years ago at this point, a lot of people, um, say, Oh, well, you know, I, I love how you had Tom Savini in it, or I love how you had good practical special effects, you know, or as you're saying, I love the lighting and the comic book stuff. And it's like all those things play into why it's a memorable film. And that's because ultimately I'm a perfectionist and, you know, my friends, are are hard workers and are willing to take the time to do things right even if we got annoying because you know it took us three hours to set up a shot um i'm a perfectionist and if it doesn't look right when i'm shooting it unless i've got people complaining that you know they don't want to do it anymore we're running out of time if my first assistant director is telling me you got to move on you got to get to the next step which I didn't have a first assistant director on a chant on it's my party, but everything since then, you know, I would shoot something a hundred times like Kubrick would shoot something a hundred times just to get it right. And we did that when, when Cassie explodes in the movie all over um, Sarah and D um, you know, we shot that 
if you watch the behind the scenes, we shot that at least 35 times, I think. And it's because we had to get it right. You know, absolutely had to get it right. I'm, I'm a perfectionist. And as much as people that I work with may get annoyed by me being a perfectionist at the end of the day, that's what I think makes these things look so good is, is the attention to detail, you know? Yeah, it, it absolutely is. As you say, it's, uh, yeah, I, I did watch the uh, behind the scenes actually just before I spoke to you this evening. Um, yeah, and you're right. There were a few of those shots where it almost hit right. Um, but yeah, the fact that you were like, well, it, it's halfway, but it's not right. I'm going to which then means presumably having to completely clean that door down again and get the girls changed and get them washed and get them all out. So get taking that many shots must have been. Yeah, I, I can't imagine how long it took you. But to get that final payoff when that shot goes off, uh, it's just that it's one of the highlights of the movie, isn't it? So and and, and yeah, and, and it got to I mean, when you watch the behind the scenes making of It's My Party, which is on the DVD, um, you know, otherwise, I don't think you can see that anywhere. I don't have it online or anything like that. Um, you know, it's. You can see that frustration coming through, uh, in, in all of us. You know, at one point, Darcy had a big test. And so she was like, you know, it's three in the morning. I have to go home. I have to study. I have to wake up at 8 a.m. and go to class tomorrow morning. And, um, you know, so we ended up having to shoot that scene over the course of two different days because it wasn't working the way we wanted it to. And it was all trial and error. You know, when I was a kid, my dad, my brother and I had made potato guns, which is what that was, you know, where you just you 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 make it with PVC piping and you use hairspray and you and it makes a potato gun that you can launch a potato 300 feet, you know. And so I thought, well, why don't we just do that and we'll put a garbage bag on the end of it and fill it with blood and guts and that'll be, you know, what we do. And it just wasn't working. You know, the, the hairspray ignites when you light it and, and it would burn the, the garbage uh, bag and then all the blood and guts would seep into the, the, the potato cannon. Um, it wouldn't fire far enough. It wasn't on target. And so finally, after 40 times, you can see how excited the small cast and crew that were on set those two days were that it worked out the way that it did. And, and you can hear me on the camera. I'm like, OK, everybody, stop, 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 stop girls and the girls would scream and then i because all i because what i was so scared of when it actually worked was oh my god somebody's gonna be like yes it worked yes it worked and then my audio is gonna be ruined or somebody's gonna drop character and then i'm not gonna be able to use that take you know because i can't cut away to something you know and it just that's where sometimes the hardest part is getting people to to believe in your vision before your revision is accomplished. Um, because then it's like, if they don't realize what you're trying to do, they might think, Oh, this is stupid. This is taking forever. Why is he just okay with that take? You know, that take was fine. Let's just move on already. And then they see what you want, what you wanted it to look like. And they're like, okay, we get it now. We totally get it now. And, but, but so yeah, it's, it's just, that's what it's really all about is those moments where, you you look around the room and you see how everybody realizes what you wanted to do and and appreciates that you were diligent enough to work until you get to exactly what you want. And it's hard to do that because a lot of times people say, well, you know, we're tired or we're not getting paid enough. We just need to move on. And and so it's always a struggle. That's what independent filmmaking is, is a struggle. 
Um, but, but when it works out, it pays off. And, and I think that people are proud of what it's my party was as, as much as I don't promote that movie actively as much as I used to, because I think that our work is substantially better and more professional looking now. Um, it is ultimately what got me to this point. And I'm, I'm thankful that, that fans loved that movie as much as they did back in the day and that it won the awards that it did and that it started my career and, and, and Scotchworthy Productions, you know, kind of off on the right foot, so to speak. And, and saying that, your other projects that you've done more recently, um, so Skeletons in the Closet is obviously the next big production um, that you've undertaken fairly recently. Uh, just went out last year, just before Halloween, is that right? Yeah, Skeletons in the Closet is actually the fourth film that I directed, and I co-directed that one. Um, and that we started shooting in 2012, and we finished in 2017, and then that released in September of last year. Um, I my The second movie I directed, well, I did A Chance in Hell back in 2010, and that was like a 35-minute short film. And then, and that was really the start of my larger, larger scale productions. I made that movie for $9,000. And at one point we had 85 people on set, I believe. And, um, you know, that was a World War II movie. So it was all period recreation. Um, and so that, that just really stepped up my game as a producer. Um, and, was the stepping stone necessary to show people that they could take me seriously as an independent producer, that when I said I wanted to do something, I would do everything in my capable power to, to accomplish it. Whether or not that actually happened is beside the point, but you know, I would at least try and, and, and giving it effort to try is, is more important, you know, a lot of times. Um, so then we did it, we did high on the hog in 2012 is when we shot that. And that actually, just released a couple weeks ago in 2015 is when we did the rake so skeletons in the closet was um you know it, it's hard to kind of understand the 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 time um the the chronological time order of when these movies were made versus when they came out um so the rake would i'd say would be the the largest scale um production in terms of the the most budget we were working with while we were shooting and um you know the 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 biggest quote-unquote actors that we were working with um but skeletons in the closet has the most recent work in it involved in it like we shot that in 2017 parts of that so that showcases the the furthest along that the team has come um from from when we started working together till now so that i think has some of the most polished stuff that we've shot um which would be like the the stuff with the widow and charlie in the basement and the little girl and the babysitter that's that's the 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 latest stuff we've shot and i think it's it's some of my favorite stuff that we've made it looks tremendous it does it's really fantastic um and as you say you can you can see your touches from those early days still um in it um so the other thing I was going to ask you quickly before we go back to skeletons on the cl- in the closet. Um, so when you did the rake, that was a, a joint production rather than purely a Scotchworthy uh, production. 
So what was that like taking your team who all know each other and work well and everybody knows everybody's strengths and weaknesses uh, and then integrating that with a, another team? How did you find that to work with? Well, uh, you know, really since since Ty and the Hog, I've been, you know, working in, in, co- in production uh, collaboration with other people. You know, High on the Hog was something that I was hired to direct it. And then after some um, some issues on set with the the producer on set, um, I was ultimately promoted to producer on that um, and, and took on more responsibility in the, the coordinating perspective. Um, so that was kind of my first dealing with with other people kind of exerting influence over things. And and, and High in the Hog is not ultimately, you know, my film. Um, I mean, it's mine because anybody who works on it, we can say it's their film. But, you know, I just directed that and I produced that. You know, that was someone else's concept and everything. But with the rake, that was something that we kind of set out to do. And there was a team of five of us who were all co-producers who said, let's let's make this movie. And, you know, I wrote it with my friend Jeremy and uh, he did most of the writing. And and, um, and then, you know, I had these four other co-producers. And at one point while we were casting the rake, one of the actors that we reached out to was associated with a, a company in Los Angeles that had been producing larger budget films, you know, in the, the multiple million dollar range. And um, he said, you know, we we really like your short film, The Muck, which had gone to South by Southwest and some of the larger horror film festivals. And um, he said, you know, we really like the script to the rake. Why don't we partner with you and give you guys some money and, and some connections in Hollywood to, you know, make the movie bigger and better? And it was an offer we couldn't refuse. And ultimately, it it caused the production to. Um, you know, to have to deal with a partnership that, um, you know, that, that it was the first time that I'd ever been involved with something where let's, let me just put it in the perspective of, you know, the 10 year old kid who, who, who's going to throw the temper to get what he wants. It's the first time that I was in a position where I couldn't get what I wanted, no matter what, you know what I mean? Um, and because since they put in the majority of the money, they had control over what that film ultimately looked like and, and when it was released. And so I had to learn to come to terms with dealing with those in, inhibitors and, um, and you know, someone else's opinion. You know, I had to, to learn to deal with that. And so it's not easy. It, it really isn't. Um, and that's part of what I love about independent filmmaking is the ability to say, look, you know, this is what we're going to do and we're going to do it this way because, you know, no one else is telling us we can't, you know. And uh, and so whether whether the the reasons for saying no were, were good or not, there were still a lot of no's that took place while we were producing that film and subsequently in the post-production ends of it when which I was not involved with. Um, and so, you know, that movie coming out, is is something that we're all very proud of because it was a large step in the direction of making more professional looking work but the finished product is not something that that I had a hand in from start to finish and um I I wish that I would have had that opportunity but at the end of the day the movie came out and a lot of what you see in the rake is what we strived so diligently to create and 
you know, my cinematographer and my production designer and um, special effects artist and, you know, the whole team of effects artists and, and just everybody, you know, the 50 people who worked on that movie that are my friends that I love, you know, dearly, all of these people's hard work pays off in that movie because you may not understand what's happening or you may not like the movie or, you know, you may, you may think this or that about it at the end of the day, it's a completed film and it's got a lot of really cool stuff in it. And, um, so we're all very proud of that. And, um, and then skeletons in the closet is just kind of going back to our roots and saying, look, you know, we need to make something that we have complete control over and it's a very small, smaller budget. And so that's what we did. And we had, you know, this movie called chop shop that we'd been working on since 2012 that had grandma O'Malley's pantry in it. And it had, um, the dismantler, which is the two guys in the junkyard and, um, you know, the, the footage of the guy getting tortured in the junkyard. And then we had that short film with the girl tied to the chair in the basement. Um, and, and all of these movies were just kind of sitting on a shelf and we said, why don't we do something with these? And so that's where I had the idea for skeletons in the closet in my head, kind of this TV show that was an amalgamation of, of, um, Elvira married to the crypt keeper from tales from the crypt, you know, meets married with children. And, um, and we just kind of tied it all together with a bow and that's what skeletons in the closet is. And it worked out really well. I love the, the eighties look of it. I would, uh, you know, around the same age as yourself. So we obviously grew up around the same time seeing the same stuff. Um, yeah, and it just felt like an 80, like it felt like Halloween did in the 80s. It, it encapsulated that, uh, that kind of excitement that you had at the time, um, really well. And the set you had for the house, where did you find somewhere that looked like it's just so entirely the carpet and the, you know, the cladding on the walls and everything? It's so 80s. It's fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so a good chunk of, of skeletons in the closet was shot at the house that I lived in for six years up until recently. Um, that is my friend, Jim Peterson's house and, um, my cinematographer, Robert Patrick Stern and myself lived at Jim's house with him. We were just three bachelors in our you know, early thirties living together, making movies. And Jim's house is still decorated in the 1980s look, um, which is how it was when he was a kid. Uh, it's, it's his parents' house that, that he's lived in, you know, all his life. And, um, and so, you know, he got the house when his parents passed away. And so he's kind of lived in it and just never felt the need to upgrade it. And so that's part of the, um, part of the appeal to it when I moved in was that it was very nostalgic for me. You know, it reminded me of my friend's house when I was a kid. And so I liked that. I thought it was cool. And, so that really kind of played into the the thematic elements of skeletons in the closet because we could have had skeletons in the closet take place nowadays. You know, it could have been a modern day thing where they were renting the movie on on demand, you know, or or getting it from Netflix. But instead, I've always pictured skeletons in the closet as being a period piece and being an '80s you know film, and none of the pieces of Chop Shop, you know, were really telling that it was a modern day thing. You know, there's, there's newer cars in the junkyard if you pay attention to the background. Um, but other than that, there's really not a lot of moments in that movie where you could say, Oh, well that's not the 1980s. And, um, so when we decided we're going to make it an eighties film, 
Jim's house just worked perfectly. And that's the family room um, where Jamie is watching the show Skeletons in the Closet with her babysitter. The basement is where we shot Meisner, which is the girl tied to the chair in the basement, you know, um, getting tortured. Um, we also shot the muck in that house. Um, the bathroom and everything upstairs is the bathroom that the muck was in. Um, and then, uh, the basement where the widow and Charlie are watching the movie was our sound designers. Uh, his name is Joe Meglio. That was his grandmother's basement. And she had left it very, you know, she was this cute little sweet Italian lady. And she had this basement that was decorated in the 1960s style that she never updated. Um, and so, you know, he said, well, yeah, we can use that. So that's how we got that room. Um, and so, yeah, everything just kind of falls into place. You know, Grandma O'Malley's pantry was shot at a big old mansion in a town about 15 minutes from where I live. And it was vacant and, um, you know, it was for sale. And uh, the people that owned it were were willing to let us shoot there for a couple weeks. And so that's where we got that. And and the junkyard was just a junkyard that, that my co-director, Ben, um, had access to. And so that's kind of how we ended up doing that. Excellent. So you you almost, to some degree, for the shorts in there, sort of built it around what you had access to. So it was kind of written with those areas in mind. Um, not actually, not really. So in 2012, when we were doing Chop Shop, originally that project was called Chop Shop. And it was four filmmakers. Each of us were doing a 25 minute short film and then we were going to put them together and make a feature kind of like VHS or, or, you know, tales of Halloween or holidays. So that and that was all Ben's idea. And, um, so Ben wanted to do this junkyard movie called the dismantler about these two, you know, thieves being chased by this, this ghost. And I had the idea for grandma O'Malley's pantry, which was originally a part of, an anthology film called sweet dreams that I wanted to produce back in 2008, right after it's my party came out. Um, if you have any of the original promotional material from it's my party, it says on the promotional material, stay tuned for our next feature, sweet dreams, which never came out <laughs> or was made. Um, and, uh, and so Grandma O'Malley's Pantry was just the perfect short film when Ben came to me and said, you know, do you want to do this? I said, yeah, cool. I've got a great idea. And then there were two other shorts as well. And when we ultimately decided that Chop Shop was not going to get finished the way that we were doing it, um, Ben and I said, let's take our two shorts and kind of do our own thing with them. And that's kind of where after a couple of years are doing different things along the way, like our web series World of Death, which runs through bloodydisgusting.com and The Rake and High on the Hog. Um, finally, we kind of came back to it and said, you know, we need to finish Chop Shop because a lot of people worked on it and we put time and money into it. So we need to get it out there. And that's when I said, why don't we do skeletons? You know, this is the idea. This is how we can tie it all together. And and he was on board and we got Rob on board and everybody else. And and that's pretty much what ended up happening. And, and Jason, you know, Kane, who does my special effects, um, he was really instrumental in helping get a lot of those ideas together and and created the Charlie makeup and and all that. And uh, yeah, so it just it all comes together. And and um, it was funny because none of those again, those earlier films, Grandma O'Malley's Pantry and 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 
and the dismantler and Meisner, they, they were not meant to be what they were. And so we were just kind of setting out to make those short films as they were. And it just happened that they kind of fit into skeletons in the closet as well as they do. And, uh, and then we were able to kind of write the widow and Charlie stuff and the Jamie and Tina stuff around, um, how those movies played out. And so, yeah, it worked out great. Yeah, it's a it's a fantastic movie. Um, and yeah, having seen it's my party and I die if I want to today. Yeah, the last thing that my co-host Chris says he was leaving was we, we are doing that one soon, right? So it's like yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely on the list. So uh, I should give you a heads up when we cover that one as well. Yeah, please um, do. I'd love to be on again. So working on High on the Hog, obviously some of the names in there are incredible. I mean, the chance to work with uh, Sid Haig, uh, Robert Zadar. Uh, Joe Estevez, what was it like working with those guys on set? Um, well, it was a, I mean, it was a dream come true, you know, for a horror fan, you know, um, obviously it was, that was the reason I wanted to make that movie. You know, we had originally been hired. Jason came again, my, my special effects supervisor and myself had originally been hired to do the special effects in the movie. There's some gunshots and, you know, there's a, a cool, like, a, a decapitation scene in it. And so we got hired by the producers to do the special effects. And then after kind of talking to the producer um, who was at the time coordinating the, the, the film during pre-production, we had three different phone conversations. And she had spent a good amount of time asking me questions about, you know, producing this and directing this and talking to department heads and yada, yada, yada. And, and finally, like I got to the point where it was like the third phone conversation. And, and I'm like, you know, I said to my girlfriend at the time, I'm like, I, I don't, you know, this, this producer keeps calling me and asking me all these questions, but I'm just the special effects coordinator. Like I'm not getting paid to be the producer on this. And why is the director not doing any of this stuff? And so then I jump on the phone and I'm talking to her. And after about an hour and a half conversation, I kind of was like, look, you know, I would like, you know, my, my girlfriend at the time had told me, she's like, why don't you like ask for, you know, you need to ask for a producing credit or something, you know, get something out of it. And I said, don't worry, I was planning on it. And it's, it's always tough, you know, getting to the point where you demand something, you know, and, and so uh, you don't want to overstep your bounds or upset somebody. Um, and so it got to the point where I finally said in the conversation, I was like, are you, you know, are you, are you asking me to direct this movie or are you going to give me a consultation credit or an associate producer credit? Because we've been talking quite extensively at this point and, and I just, I can't afford to keep taking these hour and a half conversation, you know, time, the time out of my day to talk to you if I'm not going to get credit for it, you know, and I want to be involved more. And so uh, so she said, yeah, actually, I've, the more I've been thinking about, I, I, I'm thinking I'd like you to direct the movie. Um, the current director that they had attached um, was not apparently talking to the, the department heads and was not organizing pre-production as well as they had hoped he would. And so ultimately she went and talked to the executive producer and um, and yeah, it ended up working out to where they asked me to direct it. And, and I think it worked out in everybody's favor. Um so, you know, I got to set and I met Sid and I met Joe and I met Robert and then it was just it was a dream come true, you know, because I I ultimately got their respect and, and have the respect of people who have been working in the industry as long as those gentlemen have is is a tremendous um, pat on the back for somebody who's just looking to get personal satisfaction 
out of it. You know, we're all our own worst critics. And so I look at my stuff and I say, oh, my God, I should have done this differently or, oh, this is terrible or why the hell did I decide this instead of this? And, you know, you criticize your your art so much um, that when you have someone like Sid Haig walk up to you and say, you know, you did a good job or, you know, I'm proud of you and I'm proud of this movie, that that truly means everything. You know, Joe Estevez had said to the producer, um, he had said, he's like, you know, what you've got here with with all the actors and with Rob, who shot it, my friend Robert Patrick Stern, and with Tony as the director, he said, it's lightning in a bottle. Um, you know, you've got something special here. And and uh, that's not to say that there weren't plenty of struggles. There was one day where we had the the producer who was involved with the film who ended up ultimately leaving and caused me to get promoted to producer um, was also an actor in the movie. And so we ended up having to reshoot a handful of scenes when that person left the production. And so we were reshooting a sequence that, that we had already done once um, with the new actor and all the, and all the characters and it just wasn't really working out the way we wanted it to. And Rob and I were really getting frustrated and you could tell the crew was getting frustrated and, and everybody else was frustrated because we'd already shot the damn scene. It's like, why are we doing this again? We're wasting time. And, and after it was done, I was just kind of pissed off. And I walked up to Sid and I was like, Hey Sid, like, do you want to go grab a beer? And he goes, fuck yeah. And to go to a small town bar in the middle of nowhere, this is Elizabeth, Illinois is where we were shooting with Sid Haig and be able to sit at this bar and share cans of bush light, which you probably don't even have in, in across the pond. It's trash. It's absolute trash beer. Um, do you have Bud Light in England? Uh, unfortunately, yes, we do. Yes. <laughs> okay. So, so Bush Light is like Bud Light's black sheep little brother. Okay. Um, it's 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 absolute piss. Um, and we were drinking cans of it. It wasn't even on drought or or uh or you know in a bottle at the very least it was cans of it and Sid and I just sat and spent a few hours you know reminiscing about our, our earlier careers and you know he asked me questions and I asked him questions and we talked about his work with Roger Corman and Pam Greer and uh you know all the TV shows he was on when he was younger like you know Star Trek and the Batman TV show with Adam West and um, just so many wonderful stories and, and so many, you know, hills that he had to climb and, and the trials and tribulations of being a, in an industry that is just turbulent, you know? Um, so it was, it was such a wonderful moment and it was a turning point in the production because it was after that, it was literally that night where that was the, the ninth day that we shot. And after that, we went back to the, to the motel where we were all staying. He had bought me a 12 pack of beer, um, to take back and, and share with this girl that I was, um, I was single at the time. And so there was a girl on set that I was interested in. And so he, he bought me, Sid Haig bought me a 12 pack of beer of bush like cans, <laughs> which probably cost him like six ninety nine, you know, and, I went back to, to, to the motel and everybody was partying and we ended up all having a party together and with our 12 cans of beer. <laughs> and, uh, and, and the next day 
I kind of just like, uh, you can ask Jim Peterson, who was again, my roommate at the time. And, um, well, he wasn't my roommate at the time, but, uh, he became my roommate shortly after that. And he and I drove back to, uh, to Chicago where we all lived. And it was about a three hour drive to grab a generator and a couple other th- pieces of equipment for the big scene that night, which was this big barbecue scene where there's a band and there's a hundred extras on set. And, um, while we were driving, I, I kind of rewrote a handful of scenes from the movie and that's where I got my writer credit on it. And, uh, and just kind of reorchestrated everything and, you know, asked Jim, what do you think of this? And what do you think of this? And he was like, Oh yeah, this is all great. Okay. Very cool. You know, those are solid ideas. Let's, you know, just do it, Tony, just do it. If you believe in it, do it. And Jim was really instrumental in kind of giving me that inspiration on top of having talked to uh, Sid the night before over beers. And we got back to set and I sat down with Sid and the rest of the cast. I said, okay guys, this is what we're going to do. If you agree. And the, the, the main cast, and, uh, and I talked to the head producer at the time, and he said, you know, if you feel like it's a good idea, do it. Do what you think you need to do to make this movie finished. Because, you know, again, at one point, we didn't think it was going to get finished. And um, and so I, I I sat down with the cast and with Sid, and, and, and I said, what do you guys think? And Sid said, let's do it. Let's fucking do it. You know, and the rest of the cast was like, well, if Sid wants to do it, let's fucking do it. And, uh, and so, yeah, everybody... Everybody just got on board and, and we, we started there and then on out, you know, the, the next two weeks of shooting was just hardcore and, and we had a blast doing it every step of the way. Everybody was a family on that movie and, and it was a tremendous opportunity and, and to work with, you know, Robert Zadar before he passed away was wonderful because such a nice, kind and genuine person. Um, and again, another inspiration to work with who was someone who was just so positive every minute that we were on set together. He was always like, you know, you know, this is great. This is a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me be a part of it. And, you know, you've got someone like that who has been in scenes with Sylvester Stallone and Kurt Russell for Pete's sake telling you thank you for, for, you know, for, for taking the time to involve me in this movie and for directing me and, you know, giving me such a cool part. It's like, dude. No, thank you. <laughs> you know, thank you, man. Like, thank you for being so cool to work with. Um, and so, yeah, that's really how it was. And, and, and all those guys, when I see Sid at the conventions, he's still such a nice guy. Um, and, and I had emailed Joe Estevez a couple weeks back when we were heading out to Los Angeles for the premiere of High in the Hog. And I'd asked him if he had any connections in, in L.A. that I could, you know, meet up with while I was out there. And his response to me was an email that had a couple phone numbers, not even emails, but phone numbers of people that he felt would would be, um, you know, very good for me to talk to. Um, and, you know, he just said, you're a very good director. You know, you're on par with some of the best in the business. You know, just keep it up, you know. And this is a guy who's been in over 200 movies. So, it 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 means truly everything to have people that that get your res- they they give you respect because you earn it from them you know you work hard and um and and they they give you that respect because they see that you're that you're worthy of it and uh i i can say that and some people can say oh well you sound like a cocky asshole and it's like well no i'm not cocky i'm confident because I've worked very hard to get where I'm at and I'm not there. I'm halfway there. You know, I'm not making million dollar movies 
yet. And I'm not getting paid to make movies. None of the movies that I've made have I gotten. I haven't gotten paid even remotely what I should have to, to make those movies, nor have majority of my cast and crew. You know, all of these productions are very low budget. And so everybody's doing it because they want to do it because they're passionate about making a good movie. And, and that's why I love these people and call them my family. And so at the end of the day, I'm just grateful for the opportunity to keep creating art with wonderful people who, who are as talented and, and diligent as I am. Um, and that we all work as well together as we do. It's one of the things that comes across so much in the Scotchworthy Productions is how much everybody loves what they're doing and how it is done for the love of the craft. And, you know, everyone is giving 110 percent. And that's what sets the films aside from so many others. You know, budget restraints and things you can don't notice so much if everybody is absolutely trying their best and, and achieving so much. Um, so what is next for the future of Scotchworthy Productions? What have you got in the pipeline, if you're allowed to tell me? <laughs> it, it's actually funny because I, I literally do not know. Um, it's We're kind of at a crossroads right now um, with Scotchworthy. And, and this is, you know, kind of one of the first times that I'm really talking about it publicly. Um, you know, I don't really know where we're going. You know, everybody's kind of doing their own stuff and, um, you know, I, I'm certainly doing my own stuff. I'm working on, oh God, I think I've got seven different concepts right now that I'm trying to develop with myself or with different writers. Um, and, and just trying to kind of create a, a mixed bag of different concepts all within the horror genre. That way I can pitch these different ideas to the different producers and contacts that I have for money and see if somebody bites on any of them. Um, you know, we're also trying to develop skeletons in the closet into a television series in some capacity, um, which would be tremendous. And I would be so excited if that actually happened. Um, but you know, it, it takes a lot of work and effort in order to get something like that rolling. Um, and, and at this point, you know, if you don't have money behind you, um, it's really difficult to, to get something done. So my hope is that somebody takes a liking to that movie and says, this has a lot of potential. Um, you know, what would it take to make the movie or to make the TV show? Oh, that's no problem. We can do that. That's, that's, that's pennies compared to, you know, you look at movies like the Avengers, which was made for, you know, $200 million. And it's like, we could make an entire season of skeletons in the closet for $1.5 million. And we're talking 10 episodes at that point, you know, you know, and, and so, um, that's my ultimate hope is to find um, just find the people who support us. You know, I don't have a, a rich uncle or um, a trust fund um, and, and I don't have the connections in Hollywood with big producers who say, wow, what you're doing is great. So we're going to give you, you know, even a million dollars on your next movie to, to make a movie. So, you know, it's it's a struggle getting to that point where you you can get people involved and say, um yeah, Tony, we're going to follow you, you know, for the next year making something um, because I just the reputation, unfortunately, is not enough. You need the money um, in order to get something going. And so that's right now where I'm at is 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 trying to get one of seven scripts completed and um, at the same time seeing if I can get skeletons in the closet to the next level. Um 
And, you know, we've talked about maybe doing a sequel of Skeletons as well. But, you know, again, at this point, I don't know what's possible and what isn't. And so, um, but the ideas that I have are fun, you know, as a horror fan. I've been a horror fan my whole life. And so, as a horror fan, I think that they're they're cool and they're fun ideas. And they would fit well with what audiences of, of the horror genre um, are interested in right now. Um, you know, they're not these big socio-political pieces like like a jordan peele movie or you know um they're they're not these um standout type box office successes of something like a quiet place or whatever but i think that there's still fun ideas that are you know ingrained in the horror genre and uh, i'm excited for people to hopefully see one of them in the next year i'd like to be shooting in 2020 if possible Excellent. Well, we'll definitely have our fingers crossed uh, for you at this end. Um, so where can people get hold of your movies at the moment? What's the easiest way for people to, to support you and, and what you do right now? Well, um, you know, thank you for asking. Um, majority of the stuff you can pick up physically, you know, like merchandise wise would be at scotchworthy.com, um, which you can put the link, I'm sure, attached with the podcast. Um, it's like a bottle of scotch and worthy, like we are not worthy, you know, Wayne's world. We are not worthy. Um, so it's scotch worthy. It's all one word.com. And that's got a whole nother story to it where my company name comes from. Um, cause I know it's a weird name. Um, I should have thought of that. <laughs> I should have come up with a <laughs> easier to remember name, uh, easier to spell out. Um, you can find me on Facebook. Uh, you can either friend request me. My name is Tony wash, uh, like wash your hands. Um, I know Lee, you are, you're friends with me on all the social media avenues. Um, Scotchworthy Productions is on Facebook. Uh, we also have a, a Facebook page for Skeletons in the Closet. Um, and then we're also on Instagram. Uh, Scotchworthy is on Instagram. Skeletons in the Closet's on Instagram. And then we also have our web series World of Death, which is on Instagram and Facebook as well. And that's short horror films from around the world that we curate through bloodydisgusting.com. Um, so those are really the best places to find us. And so, yeah, if you've got any, um, you know, wealthy, uh, listeners in the, uh, the UK or across the world that might be interested in being a part of a Scotchworthy production, you know, um, hopefully you guys have been listening to Lee all these, these years now and, and, and I believe that Lee has good taste and that what Lee's saying about Scotchworthy is, uh, is all truthful and that you want to become involved and uh, let's, let's make a movie together. You know, <clears throat> we, we are more than happy to, to beg for money on your behalf. I think, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, as I say, the guys just had so much fun uh, previously. And again, today rewatching it's my party. Um, so yeah, I think they're excited as well to, to get on to the rest of your uh, back catalog. So that's definitely something we'll be doing. Um, I really appreciate you giving your time today. Uh, it really does mean a lot to us. Um, as I say, we've not reached out to anyone before, and it was really kind of you to offer the interview. I know your time is precious. Just one last question before uh, I let you go. Obviously, you get to, as you say, do the conventions and speak to other indie filmmakers. Are there any out there that you can suggest at the moment, any films that you think are possibly going under the radar or that we might not get over here and might not have picked up on? Oh man. Okay. Well, my favorite, my two favorite horror films from last year, I would have to say easily, um, that I can remember were Overlord, um, which is basically a chance in hell, but with a lot more money. Um, and, uh, and then Pie Whack It. If you haven't seen Pie Whack It, 
Um, I thought that that was a really, really great low budget movie. It, it doesn't involve a lot, but it's super, super creepy. Um, you know, it, it was a lot like the taking of Deborah Logan. Did you ever see that movie? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a lot like that. We're, we're not a ton of things happen in it, but it's just super creepy and eerie. And I thought it was a lot better than a movie like hereditary was on the independent circuit. To be completely fair, I haven't watched a lot of independent movies. I haven't been to a lot of film festivals recently uh, because, you know, we haven't had a lot of movies. I mean, we had Skeletons in the Closet in a couple festivals last year, and I saw a couple films. I watched Book of Monsters, um, which is very similar to It's My Party and I'll Die If I Want To. Um, I But I didn't particularly care for it, you know, as a fan. I'm, I, I respect anybody who takes the time and puts money into making a film, you know, from inception to completion. So I'm not... I'm not going to be critical of of a person's independent film because I know how hard it is to make one. But I didn't particularly care for the monsters in it. I thought that they were kind of cheesy. Um, and I didn't think that the special effects was very good in the movie. Um, so I just I didn't really care much for that. Fred Vogel is someone that, you know, you might want to reach out to um, and check out his work. Fred um, created the August Underground trilogy, which is it's such a staple in independent horror. Um, at least in the United States, um, there it was like a serial killer couple had a video camera and and they follow kind of their themselves around and and then from there he went and did a couple other movies. Um, he did a cool movie called The Red Sin Tower, which is very much like It's My Party and I'll Die If I Want to or Night of the Demons. Um, he just did a movie called The Final Interview um, that has some tremendous acting in it. Um, and uh and fred is just such a wonderful person um so he's uh, somebody that i i support and you should check out um i do not i I cannot figure out how to pronounce his last name because i've only met him briefly and um and you know right now there's a guy named antonio um it's like panta pantanoia uh or he directed we called one must fall and um it's it's like about a crime scene clean cleanup team um, that is cleaning up a crime scene uh, where someone's killed a bunch of people and the killer is still in the building. And I haven't seen the movie yet. It was playing at the Horror Hound that I was just at, um, which is a big convention in Cincinnati, Ohio. But he is just one of those people who it's his personality. If even if the movie was terrible, his personality is so good that that he's somebody you should be paying attention to. Uh, and he's friends with me on Facebook, so you can find him through there. Uh, another person that I absolutely love on the independent circuit, uh, her name is Brooklyn Ewing, and um, she's friends with me as well, and she goes to all the conventions. And she's just another one of those people where she's just starting out. You know, she's got two movies under her belt. Uh, she was so pretty, and she was so pretty for good, be good for goodness sake, which are about a serial killer. Um you know, kind of like uh maniac, you know, to a small degree or Henry portrait of a serial killer. And she just, she has an eye for detail and she has such a keen sense of production design that her films for as low budget as they are. Um, I just, I love Brooklyn to death. She's like a sister to me. And I, I believe that she is, is in route to doing some truly remarkable work. And, uh, you know, one of these days her and I might even work on something together. So, um, those are a couple people that I definitely think that you should, you should take a look at. And, um, 
and and definitely uh you know give give a little attention and a little love to um you know because they're they're good people and they make stuff that i enjoy even though i haven't seen all of their work the stuff i have seen of them um is pretty cool so fantastic that sounds like i've got my uh, homework cut out for the next month then that'll give me plenty to uh to get through thank you and yes we'll be trying to spread the word as much as possible uh in the next coming episodes um so i shall let you go and enjoy the rest of your saturday thank you again i'll really appreciate it you have a good day tony thank you lee take care